We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. reading from Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In his play, Lady Windmere's Fan, Oscar Wilde has a character say this, I couldn't help it. I can resist everything except temptation. You might identify with that if you're chuckling. Um, I wonder if you've ever felt that way. I wonder if you've ever felt that certain temptations were irresistible, and in fact, that some temptations you don't even want to resist. I wonder if you've ever felt like temptation is mostly just a guilty pleasure. No one gets hurt. It's not the best thing for you, but it's not the end of the world. In fact, when you hear a pastor talk about resisting temptation, you might think that it feels out of place, out of date. It might even feel archaic. Who talks about resisting temptation in 2022? You might even think that it sounds unhealthy. You might think it's unhealthy to repress your desires and your urges and your needs. So why in the world are we getting together on a Wednesday night to talk about things like repentance and our mortality and repentance and resisting temptation? Why would anyone spend a 40-day Lenten season to focus on self-examination and self-denial? Well, in today's passage, Jesus shows us in this encounter with the devil that resisting temptation can do. Uh, Every time Jesus says to no to temptation, he's saying yes to something passage in two parts. First, we're going to look at how temptation destroys, 
And second, we're going to look at how temptation is destroyed. So let's look first at how temptation destroys. This passage starts out by telling us that the Spirit sent Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He had just been baptized by John the Baptist. The Father had broken through the clouds and the Spirit descended like a dove and proclaimed, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And the first thing that happens after that is that the Spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now we should pause here for a minute and think about the devil because we don't think a lot about the devil today. We don't talk a lot about the devil today. In fact, some of you might be wondering, why are we even talking about the devil? You might think that belief in the devil is superstitious. Well, one thing that is apparent here in this passage is that the devil is important and real because evil is important and real, and evil is not accidental. See, if you have a world without the devil, then all evil is just one big accident. All evil is impersonal. In a world without the devil, evil is just a series of bad choices, of unfortunate outcomes, and tragedy. The universe really doesn't care about evil. Evil is just something that happens. And so when the Bible talks about the the devil, it's actually telling us that evil is a lot worse than that. Evil is personal. Evil is not an accident. Evil is an assault. Somebody trips and runs into you, knocks you down. That's an accident. They didn't do that on purpose. You may get hurt, but it was just an accident. If someone runs toward you, full steam, tackles you, and takes you down, that is not an accident. That is an assault. That was done with the intent to hurt you. And this is what the Bible is saying evil is. Evil is not accidental, it's personal. And the presence of the devil is the first clue that temptation is destructive because Satan has an agenda. The devil is committed to destroying humanity. That's why he tempted Adam and Eve. That's why the devil tempted Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve failed that temptation and abandoned God's presence and lived in misery for the rest of their lives. Israel failed to give in to their temptations, and they resulted, that resulted in a 40-year period of wandering in the wilderness. And so here is Jesus fasting for 40 days in the wilderness, and the devil has come to assault Jesus. He has come to destroy God's plan of salvation. And he does this by hitting Jesus with three temptations. He tempts Jesus with bread, and then he tempts Jesus with safety, and then he tempts Jesus with a kingdom. Now, these things may not sound that serious, and when you read this passage, you may wonder what's the big deal with these temptations, but we're going to see as as we look at Jesus interacting with the devil that each of these temptations have the power to destroy In the first temptation, Satan tells Jesus to turn stones into bread. Jesus had been fasting 40 days. He's weak, he's hungry, he's needy. And this was a simple solution. Meet your needs. Jesus, take care of yourself. You don't have to be weak. You don't have to be hungry. You don't have to eat something. Make some bread. 
Satan couldn't understand why Jesus would ever deny himself something that he needs. And so let me ask you, what would happen if Jesus used his power to gratify his needs? Well, he would be no different from any tyrant who ever lived. In international politics, in the workplace, in church, in our homes, people who use their power to gratify their own needs wreak havoc. They leave people scarred. They leave countries. to use your power to always gratify your needs is destructive. In the second temptation, Satan tells Jesus to throw himself off the highest point of the temple, which sat on a mountain. And he even quotes scripture this time. He quotes Psalm 91. And, and he's telling Jesus, if you really believe in God, put your money where your mouth is. Don't you believe the Bible, Jesus? Don't you believe that God's going to protect you? Don't you believe that God's going to love you? Don't, do you really think that God's going to let you get hurt? Show me what you really believe. Throw yourself off this temple. And so let me ask you, what would happen if Jesus threw himself off that temple to see if God would catch him? Well, he would be no different from anyone else who holds God's love hostage. The moment Jesus felt vulnerable to pain or suffering, he would question God's love it would have been impossible for Jesus to withstand persecution or rejection or the cross. He would have been incapable of sacrificial love. The temptation to hold God's love hostage and say, if you love me, God, you must protect me. If you love me, God, you must spare me from pain. That temptation, that impulse is destructive. In this last temptation, Satan promises Jesus the whole world, if he would just bow down and worship him. And you might be thinking, why would Jesus be tempted to worship Satan? He's God incarnate. But the tricky thing about this temptation is Satan is actually promising Jesus a way to fulfill his mission, to give Jesus a kingdom without dying on the cross. And isn't that what Jesus wanted? Isn't that the very thing that Jesus prayed for in the Garden of Gethsemane? Father, if it's at all possible, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Did he want everyone to love him and follow him? Wouldn't the world be a better place if everyone followed Jesus? So what would happen if Jesus gained the whole world without a cross? Then he would be no different from anyone else who wanted to rule without serving. And if someone tries to rule you without serving you, that just means that they want to use you. And the world is filled with way too many users. The temptation to influence people without serving them to use people is destructive. Not all temptations are equal. The temptation to eat chocolate is not going to kill you unless you're diabetic like I am. The temptations of the devil are evil. They're a spiritual assault on your soul. The devil means to destroy you. And so if you've ever used power to gratify your needs, if you've ever held God's love hostage, if you've ever used people by trying to influence them without serving them, you know it's true. Because you have relationships that have been damaged. 
You have a reputation that's been damaged. You have a sense of self that has been damaged. You have a faith in God that has been damaged. The temptations of the devil are meant to destroy. So what do you do? What do you do when you find yourself tempted in the wilderness? What do you do when you're tempted to compromise your faith, to compromise your integrity, when, when you try to hurt someone to get back at them for hurting you, when you can't help wondering if God cares about you when you're in pain, when you find it hard to worship God or serve God or serve anyone else? What do you do? What do you do when you start wondering if God will even care if you give in to your temptations? What do you do when you've already been swallowed up by your temptations? How do you resist? How do you get out? We start by confessing that you can't. You are not Jesus. You can't love God the way that Jesus loved God. You can't love your neighbors the way that Jesus loved his neighbors. That's why you need Jesus. You need a Savior. So you're never going to defeat your temptations, resist your temptations by just trying harder. The only way to do it is by putting your hope in Jesus. This brings us to the second thing we're going to look at tonight. Temptation can be destroyed. Jesus not only shows us that temptation can be destroyed, but he destroys it. In fact, he is the only human being in history who ever destroyed temptation completely. Jesus fasted for 40 days to mirror the 40 years Israel wandered in the wilderness. Israel failed at resisting temptation. Adam and Eve also faced Satan just like Jesus did. They lost that battle. But here, Jesus overcomes where no other human being can. When Jesus faces Satan in the wilderness, he's doing a lot more than giving us an example. He's saving us from our tempter. He's defeating the devil. That's why the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Spirit was sending Jesus to ambush the devil. He was setting Satan up for defeat on his own home turf. The devil tempted Jesus, and he said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is saying, there is more to life than having a full stomach. God word, his mere word is more nourishing to me than any bread that you can give me. Gratifying my needs right now, gratifying my hunger will not fulfill me and nourish me the way that the word of my father nourishes me. Satan tempts him to throw himself off the temple, and Jesus says, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He's saying, Satan, I don't need to test God's love. I don't need to hold God's love hostage, even when I am in agony, even when I'm being rejected, even if I should die on a cross, even if my father should turn his face from me, I know that he loves me. Satan tells Jesus, just worship me, just bow down and serve me, and I will give you everything. And he says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God, 
and serve him only. He's telling Satan, God is the only one who is worthy of my service. And so I don't need you to serve me. I, 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 my life is about serving God. Your gifts are worthless to me. Over and over again, Jesus quotes scripture, and all of these scriptures are in Deuteronomy, the law of God. And Jesus, through the law of God, is telling the devil, I love God more than you. You see, only the way to defeat a temptation is to have a superior love. There's a story I read a while ago about a man who tried to seduce a married woman. Uh, when she told him she was married, he said he was too. And he said they should just go out anyway. It would be fun. And her response is incredible. She wrote him, when I got diagnosed with cancer last year, I didn't have the heart to tell my boys, whom I have always protected, that I could die. My husband had to look in their eyes and say that I was sick. He subsequently took care of me during multiple surgeries, emptying drainage bags, giving me blood thinner shots, holding my hand while I was in pain and going to get chemo infusions. Get your house in order and please stop messaging me. This woman had a superior love and could not be tempted by anything that this other man had for her because she had known real love, the real thing, sacrificial love a love that stuck with her through pain and suffering. Every time Jesus rebuffs Satan, he's saying, I know a superior love. The love of my Father is far better than anything that you can offer me. But did you know that he was not only saying no to Satan in order to say yes to his Father, he was saying no to the devil to say to sinners like you and me. You see, Jesus said no to temptation so he could say yes to the cross. And he was saying to the devil, these sinners, you don't know them like I do. They are so precious to me. You don't know how much I love them. This is a superior love. This is nothing like the cheap love that you are offering me. And there's nothing that you could offer me to stop me for giving my life to save them from their sin and make them my own. And the incredible thing is none of us have done anything to earn this love. What have you or I done to earn this kind of love from the Son of God, from God incarnate? But Jesus wants you, and he loves you. And that's what the ashes that we are about to receive represent. These ashes are a reminder of who we are. We are mortal. We're not gods. We came from the dust, and to the dust, every single one of us will return. They're also a reminder that we're sinners. Placing ashes on your head is a way of saying, I don't have it all together. I'm not the person I want to be. It's a way of acknowledging our brokenness and our wretchedness. But these ashes are also a sign of hope. Because Brent and I are going to place these ashes on your foreheads in the shape of a cross. This is a reminder that through the cross, our mortality and our sins aren't going to have the final word about us. Through Jesus' work, God has actually won the battle over our sin 
and he's defeated death itself. And we will rise from the dust just as Jesus has. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Savior who defeated the tempter, who did it for you, and that he did it for us. And God, we confess, every single one of us, we have failed far too many temptations, Lord, failed at resisting far too many. And yet, Lord, we are astounded that you love us to the bottom. And we pray, God, that tonight and in this season of Lent, that you would remind us, Lord, that even though we are dust, we are not defined by it, and one day we will rise above it because we have a Savior. We pray, Lord, that your superior love would overwhelm us and give us the resolve to let you change us, to change every part of our lives, that we would be used by you to love one another and love our city. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.